Hi, I'm Ian Sweeney and this is the Beppo Podcast, where we explore people's journeys to professional and personal fulfillment. Welcome back to the Beppo Podcast. It has been a little time between drinks, so apologies for that. But we have a very important conversation to have today with a good friend of mine, Jared Carroll. Jared has uh, published a new book called A White Guy Confronting Racism. Jared describes the book as part manifesto, part call to action. And as we hear during the conversation, it's rooted very much in his own experiences. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. We have a return visitor this time around in Jared Carroll. Welcome, Jared. Thanks, Ian. Great to be here. Yeah. I love the uh, surroundings here. Yeah, you're you're enjoying the studio that we have here. That's right. It's, it's very. Uh, it's, I feel like I'm in someone's garage. Wow, that that's weird. Is it the um, <laughs> is it the uh, bits of lumber on the floor or the washing machine beside you that, that's giving you that I, impression? I think yes, all of the, all of the above. <laughs> um, well, Jared, you're you're the first return. Um, interviewee ever in the long, long history of the podcast, and that you were the first person I interviewed in, I think it was July 2019. Wow, that so, long ago. Yeah, I'm hoping there's something, I can't, can't think of much that's happened since then, but hopefully there'll be something to talk about. Yeah, there's a few things maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, when, we, uh, when we chatted two years ago, my recollection is you were in the midst of, or you, you had kind of left a full-time gig, and you were out of that a while, and you were beginning to kind of work out what, uh, what you were going to be doing. So maybe give us, uh, give us a little bit of a, an update before we get to the super, super exciting stuff. Yeah, geez. I don't know how interesting this will be to your listeners, but um, it was around the fall of that year that... I, I think when we talked, I was actually in the middle of a long-term contract uh, uh, on the diversity and inclusion team of a, of a tech company. It was going pretty well, but that ended probably probably right around there shortly after that in the fall of 2019. And I decided that I wanted a full-time job. I wanted you know st- stability, uh, be on a team, you know the whole thing. So I, I hired a coach, and he helped me put together a resume because I hadn't done it for probably eight years. And he helped me kind of position myself, not only on the resume, but just a little bit kind of step into a little more of, of who, I, who I was. And it was during our last session, it was probably December, actually I remember the day, it was December 18th, 2019. He said, uh, hey, you know, we just positioned you as this kind of this, this D&I guy, this white guy who gets it, who talks about, you know, race and, and all these things. How come I don't see you writing anything on LinkedIn? And I said, I don't know. I just, I get kind of lazy. He's like, so you got, you got something to say? I said, yeah. He's like, open up your laptop and write a post. I'll wait. So I opened up my laptop. I wrote a post. Uh, and he commented, you know, bring attention to his 200,000 followers. He said, I want you to write a post every day until you get a job. So I'm like, done. Okay. So I started writing about culture and race and gender and EQ and mindfulness and storytelling and like kind of a combination of all these things that I'd been working on for really for like 15 plus years, but really specifically for the last couple of years. And that was into 2020. And of course, we all know what happened at the beginning of 2020 around March. Um, so I ended up not getting that job. 
Uh, although I had some really good interviews and some good opportunities and some good networking. Uh, was that a, was that a good thing or a, a bad thing in hindsight? A uh, good thing. Okay. A good thing because what I so I didn't get the job, but I did keep writing and I got more uh, opportunities to uh, to to facilitate conversations, coaching opportunities, speaking opportunities, and really even more important than like the business opportunities was that I really stepped into this like just fine-tuned version of who I was trying to be, which is a white guy, you know, confronting racism and other ills of our mm-hmm. society. Um, and so I didn't get the job, but then in June of 2020, which is right after George Floyd was murdered, and, th- what, two and a half months, you know, three months into a pandemic, I got a long-term contract at a tech company, which I'm still at. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get the full-time job, but... It was better that I didn't, because yeah. um, now, you know, two years on from from the last time we spoke uh, on the podcast, like I'm much more clearly defined in who I am and what I do and, and why I do it. So, so much so that we'll 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 go backwards in a second, but so much so that you have an important thing coming up on November fifteenth. I do. Thank you for for the lead. Uh, I have a book coming out on November fifteenth called A White Guy. That's me. A white guy confronting racism, an invitation to reflect and act. And the bulk of the book are little, what I'm calling vignettes, little, you know, 200 word uh, thought pieces uh, that were taken from my LinkedIn posts that this coach challenged me to write. Okay. There's some more around it. There's some intros and some other stuff around it, but that was really the bulk of the, of the, of the book. Um, So it's, I don't know what the word is, if it's serendipitous or prophetic or what, but it's all kind of coming together. Great. So we'll, we'll definitely want to talk about the book because there's so much stuff that's kind of relevant to the conversations we have uh, on the podcast. But I don't want to lose sight of your own sort of progression, right? Yeah. So prior to when we talked the last time, like you, you had a job in a tech startup. I think mm-hmm. you were a copywriter. Mm-hmm. You were there for a while. You were sort of cruising. Give us the kind of two-minute um, origin story, if you like, um, prior to kind of shifting to where we saw you in 2019. Yeah, great great uh, entry point into into my journey. So I think the the relevant point to enter into is fall of 2015, so I'd been at this this tech startup um, as yeah some copywriting, some marketing communication, some editorial, some content management. I before that I was a teacher. I taught writing. So when I left teaching, I wanted to be you know quote unquote a writer, but I didn't really know what that meant. So I get this editorial assistant job at a at a, at a startup. So after a f- couple of years, it just started sucking. Uh, and by four years later in 2015, I was like, man, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is sucking the life out of me. So I go to see this coach, this kind of career life, mm-hmm. you know, wisdom coach, you know. And it's like, well, what is this, right? So I go, and um, she changed my life. She said, you know, Jared, you got to get back doing social justice work, stuff that matters to you. You care about people and inequity and, uh, you know, helping people whose voices aren't heard, helping amplify their voices, all this stuff that, you know, that I revealed to her about who I was and what I did, but that I just kind of gone off, off track. And so she really pushed me into being an entrepreneur, which I had never really thought of or never been. Um, 
And so I did that uh, shortly after I, I, I guess I didn't quit my job. I asked to be laid off. Okay. <laughs> Is there a difference? <laughs> kind of. It was, I, I want, I didn't want, uh, you know, it was kind of apparent, and my boss at the same time, actually, we both went in on like the same day and we said, hey, this isn't really working out. You know, I think we're, we're done. And, you know, can you lay us off? <laughs> <laughs> so we got, you know, one paycheck worth of, uh, of uh, severance and I got to keep my computer. Yeah, nice. so that was that was nice. Uh, so anyway, so then here I am, January of 2016, like I'm an entrepreneur, but what am I going to do? So I had to really figure it out. And so it took me a couple years of like, okay, I'm going to do storytelling, but I'm going to do coaching, I'm going to do facilitating, I'm going to do speaking, I'm going to do copyright. It was kind of all over the place. Um, but I know now, like in a good way, like I had to go through all these different things and meet all these people and get these clients and mess up and do stuff that I hated and figure out that I didn't like this, but I really like that. Um, and so, you know, fast forward to 2019 when we met, I was much more focused on kind of the things that I did. Uh, but even now it's even more fine tuned because I realize it's, there's like, there's the ethos and like the, the mindset and the philosophy like for me, it's like social justice, right? Like stuff is not equitable. So like, I'm going to fight for that, but there's so many different ways one can do that. And so what I've landed on now is, okay, what do I really do? Well, I'm good at like sitting around and talking to people. <laughs> so that's speaking, uh, moderating panels, fireside chats, that's facilitating conversations because a lot of people don't know how to really have deep, meaningful conversations about stuff that's hard to talk about. That's coaching one-on-one. Hey, come to me. What are you working on? I'll help you. Right? So, so that's kind of the you know, super high level journey of the last, what, six years or so. So the, so the combination sort of right now, cause it's right in front of us is the, is the book, but, but there's been enormous change pandemic aside. We've pushed the pandemic aside just in terms of, you mentioned George Floyd, George Floyd, me too. Uh, just the sort of awareness of, in very simplistic way, society isn't working very well in terms of being inclusive to everybody. Like, walk us through a little bit, and your sleeves rolled up in the middle of of all of that. Like, what has been, you know, what has your experience of that been? Yeah. Well, we're recording this on September 29th, which is the 21-year anniversary of the death of my dad. So he died of AIDS. He was a gay man. He died of AIDS September 29th, 2000. So I really point to that date as the beginning of, of my work. Because up until that point, uh, my dad was trying to teach me about what's up, about equity, about, you know, there's more to life than sports and beer and, you know, and, and surfing and all these things. And I was listening to it, but I wasn't really taking it in. I wasn't really going that route. But enough of it, you know, got into me through osmosis that when he died, I said, all right, I was back in, I was living in San Diego. I was surfing. I was parking cars. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a good life. It was Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty mellow, but there wasn't a lot of impact or meaning or change that I was, um, that I was uh, influencing. So I decided I, I wanted, I didn't want to be that guy anymore. So that's when I moved up to San Francisco, started teaching, um, taught a social justice curriculum, really just immersed myself in more diverse cultures and communities, reading more, listening more, going to events more, 
Um, just try not to be that white guy who doesn't get it, doesn't want to get it, doesn't care, doesn't have to care. Um, and really doing my work, like understanding what's up, like what is, what are systems of oppression? What is systemic racism? What is white supremacy? What is, what does it mean? You know, why do we have to wait till 2015 for a gay marriage to be legal? Why do, you know, all these things that, you know, as a, as a straight white guy, like you just take for granted because it doesn't really affect me. But I had enough influence for my dad and then my own work that I decided that, well, it does affect me if I choose to let it affect me and I want to. So that really empowered me over the years that, you know, fast forward to now with what you said, you know, Me Too and, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, all the things that are going on, like, I feel very competent and capable to speak about it. I'm not saying I'm the expert or the voice of reason or I, that I get it right all the time, but I realize that I actually have something to say that's worth saying and that other people need to to hear. And just as importantly, other people like me need to see that 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 there are people like us who can do this work. And so it's really and plus I'm an extrovert and I'm a writer and I'm a speaker so I'm comfortable kind of, mm-hmm. you know, being out there. Um, so I think all that combination puts me in a in a good position to drive some of these conversations mm-hmm. um, from you know the white male perspective, which you, know, you have to be careful because white males drive a lot of conversations, but they're not driving conversations about racism uh, and about sexism, um, yeah. and so I'm trying to fill that void in a sense. So let, let's get into that. So the name of the book is a white guy confronting racism. Yep, and. Um, there's probably somebody listening to this right now saying, you're a white guy. Why do you like <laughs> for, you're a white straight guy in your forties, which I am all of those as well. Twenties, 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 sorry, yeah, whatever. Sorry. Well, forget the age part. <laughs> but, but I, I've sort of experienced that alongside you a, a couple of times. I've seen people sort of mm-hmm. confront you. So to those people who are thinking like, why are you in the middle of this? Why do you get to drive a conversation? What, what is the, what is the response? Yeah. Gosh, so many responses, depending on the context and the relationship and the medium and the forum. And, you know, there's so many variables. But mm-hmm. generally, um, I say, why not? Why not me? Why not us? Why do we think, when I say we, I mean, you know, white folks, why do we think that we shouldn't be part of this conversation? So in a weird kind of ironic way... To, to de-center whiteness, we have to talk about whiteness. Mm-hmm. So white people historically and still don't think of, the, them, of ourselves as having, having a race, right? And I know they're, you know, I know you're Irish heritage, mm-hmm. right? There have been, over the centuries, whiteness has changed and evolved to let more and more people into, you know, being white. Mm-hmm. So, well, Irish aren't white. Well, well now they are. You know, Italians aren't white, but, oh, now they are. Oh, you know, Slavs aren't white, but now they are. Right? So this whiteness, people don't like to talk about it. Like, everyone else has a race. Black people, they have a race. Asian people, they have a race. Uh, Hispanic people, they have a race. But we're just, we're just normal. And so I think black people and other people of color get that. They have to. That's like, they see it. How can they not see it? White people don't see it. More and more are starting to see it. 
and I'm trying to further that conversation by helping, um, helping us see it more and not in isolation or not that I am the, as I said earlier, like the voice of reason or only listen to Jared or only listen to white people. But in addition to all the other people of color, uh, who are, who are driving and having these conversations. Some, so some of my black friends and black acquaintances, and I sort of read about this as well, you know, one of, one of the reactions, particularly in Oakland, it was very intense around the George Floyd period, the whole conversation. Some of their reaction was like, why is the onus on me as a black person to have this conversation? Exactly. Well, you're, you're, what you're talking about, Ian, is the, it's called the burden of education. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes also like, you know, the emotional burden. So it's exhausting to have to always have to have the conversation mm-hmm. or, or see it and just decide, like, do I want to have this conversation? Do I want to go there with this person or this group or this whatever? And yet, and black people have to make that decision. White people don't. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to say is, Let's make the decision, white people, to have have that conversation and, and relieve some of that burden of education, some of that emotional burden. Because I don't have to care about any of this. I can I can walk through life pretty much not impacted, on the surface at least, by racism. Right? No one no one really bothers me. I'm not seen as threatening. I'm not seen as violent. I'm not seen as uh, unintelligent. I'm not seen as, you know, any of these things. Just in my day-to-day life, whether it's professional, personal, social, you know, in communities. And so I don't have to really think about it. And so that's what I'm trying to bring to the attention to, to white folks is, hey, let's think about it. Because our actions is, and behaviors and mindsets, as innocuous as they may seem, are actually causing harm. So we like to think of racism as, you know... Ku Klux Klan and and swastikas and tiki torches and that is of course racism but it's really how we move through the world without paying attention to um, what's really going on uh, for people of color who have to live as you said like with these decisions on do I point out what he just said that was racist or do I just let it go you know those kind of daily multiple times a day to decisions that white people need to be more aware of, frankly. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know if, if you, uh, I haven't read the book yet, right? It hasn't, hasn't been published just yet. Um, You'll get an advanced yeah, copy for sure. It's, it's almost there, but <laughs> so I don't know if you think about this, uh, as, um, the book as guidance. I don't know what, what's his head. Yeah. Frame it first. Yeah. Bit. Thank you. Um, I decidedly, and I say this in the book and I say it about the book too, I decidedly didn't want it to be a how-to book. It's not a 10 ways your company can be anti-racist. It's not one of those. It's really kind of part confessional. Uh, so it's, it's autobiographical. Uh, it's part confessional, part manifesto, and part call to action. So it's written, the audience is white people, um, although I think anyone for any racial background can find value in it because people of color work with white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if a black person reads it, they go, oh my gosh, my white friends, my white colleagues need to see this, right? And so it's really modeling my evolution of consciousness, my 
my mistakes, my learnings, my what I know now, speaking with conviction, um, so that people can see my journey uh, and and hopefully see themselves in in my story. So even though it's written in first person and it's a, well, a lot of it's written in first person uh, about me, I would imagine that most white people reading me like, oh my gosh, that's like that something very similar I did or that happened to me or I used to think that or my family's like that or I grew up in that kind of neighborhood too. Like these things that are, you know, I like to say the personal is universal. Um, so there's that kind of tone. And so... Yeah, how a guide. I mean, originally when I was talking to the publisher, I kind of wanted it to be like this small book that you could fit in your back pocket and like carry around, you know, like a bird, like a bird watching book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out like that was an impossibility. She's like, yeah, if you want like six font and you want it to be, you know, six hundred pages, like you know, let's do it. But um, so anyway, so it's not that. But that's kind of how I have it. Like, you know, dog ear, uh, annotate, mark it up. Uh, you know. Share individual pieces with your friends and your colleagues and invite me in and do post pre-reads and post-reads. And, um, you know, it's really it's written in a way with these little vignettes where, you know, a lot of the little pieces can stand on their own. And if you read it from beginning to end, it's a it's a journey that you'll be able to follow as well. Gotcha. So so um, give us a teaser. I mean, it, 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 there's a lot of story. There's a lot of narrative in there. What's, you know, is there, I think you said that, you know, it's vignette based. Yeah. So I don't have it, I don't have it in front of me or else I would, I would be happy to, to read a, a piece or so, but it started with LinkedIn posts mm-hmm. actually in December of 19. Um, uh, and I, I basically wrote for all of 2020. So in like from December 19 to about January of 2021, I collected all those posts and I'd written I think it was about almost 300. Wow. So, I mean, you're talking like 400, you know, like 75% of the days that existed in that period, like I wrote something. So I went through all those. And of course, not all of them are, are great and not all of them are specific, you know, to the to the content. So I did a whole bunch of editing and, and kind of piecing together and organizing. And I realized, like, wow, I got a lot of stuff here. So I organized it into to chapters or sections kind of based on um, different themes. So for example... Um, a lot on like my approach to confronting racism. That's section one. There's stuff on calling people in where I'm a little more like, hey, let's talk about this. But then there's a lot of stuff on calling people out. Like you don't even know what you're doing and you need to stop. Give right? us the, I find, uh, give us the difference between calling out. I think we know calling in. Yeah. Calling in might be say, um, hey, Ian, um, can we talk a second? I want to talk to you a little bit about what you said in that meeting about, uh, you know, um, Amanda. Oh, like, yeah. So when you said like she was really articulate, um, that's something that white people say to black people all the time. And they're usually surprised. So I just want to let you know that you might have intended it really, uh, you know, had good intentions, but it was probably received. The impact probably made her feel uncomfortable. So I'm here to support you. Um, but let's try not to say that um, anymore. And maybe let's strategize, see if she if it makes sense to go up and apologize to her later. So I'm not calling you out in the middle yeah. of the meeting and embarrassing you, but I'm still making it clear that something you said or did might have been, probably was problematic. Whereas calling out is, you know, what we think of as calling yeah. out. Like, you know, and 
calling out doesn't always have to, always have to be aggressive and, and shaming and stuff. Yeah. It often is, but it's really just disrupting it in the moment because further harm is going to happen. Yeah. And that's in, this is a whole other conversation which we could go into around like cancel culture and yeah. stuff. It's, yeah. it's, it's a whole other thing to talk about. Um, but you can call out in a compassionate um, way. So what's the, I mean... I think for people, for and I'll, I'll I'll speak for myself. As I've become more aware of my part in the whole mix um, and my obligation, and maybe just to give a little bit of context, right? I grew up in a different country. I spent half my life in a different country where I was never called white because because <laughs> we were Irish, right? Yeah. We just happened to have that skin color, right? Yeah. So I come over here and I've spent 20 years and years here in a different culture and people call me white and I'm like I'm not white dude. I'm that's fine you can call me white. Yes, I get my skin. my skin is is white, but I'm a different thing. But I've been here for 20 years now and now I am white. And so the the norms around that and some of the vignettes that I've read about you you growing up maybe when you were 15 resonate with me. And I'm like, when I was 30, I was over here. I'd been here for <laughs> yeah. 10 years and I was doing the same thing. So, you know, I've come around to the awareness that I have an obligation and I have, you know, I'm sure I've transgressed in different ways. But then the obligation, you know, sits with, with you at some level or with me at some level to call in and call out when I become aware of things like, hey, that's not really, that's not really cool. But so top of mind for me, but the calling out thing, it's it's tough, right? And 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 I don't know if you have any guidance on when when to call out and when to call in and when to just let it slide. Yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing a little bit of your your journey. And that's it's it's interesting when you said you know from Ireland, like we're not white, we're just we're Irish, right? Similarly, a, a good friend of mine, uh, she's younger than us. She she's lived in the United States for. 15 years now maybe but she's from she's actually originally from Africa from uh, West Africa but her family's French so she grew up in France and so in West Africa like you're not black you're you're been you know you're from Togo you're from Ghana you're from Benin you're this tribe you're this whatever like you know it's only when you come to a place like America where you recognize that like you're black Mm -hmm. um so different backgrounds of course than you but similar kind of dynamic um and so she's had to navigate that over the years especially in corporate america right um but to get back to your question around like there's so many variables that i i always Mm -hmm. hesitate to give like do this in this context because you never know but i think a a kind of foundational approach is to approach with to approach if you see something and it doesn't feel right and you don't feel like you know how to articulate it or that you're the quote unquote right person to address it or all these reasons that we, that we, you know, we come up with lead with curiosity over judgment, lead with starting the conversation, even if you don't know exactly how to do it or what the suggestion or solution is. So for example, let's say you're on you know social media and someone says something, you might say, you know, someone says something racist, but it's not like, you know, the N-word or something, you know, uh, you mm-hmm. know, obvious. You might say something like, hey, you know, I'm reading this thread and, you know, I'm not sure, but this doesn't quite feel right to me. What do other people think? 
Like, that's something, like, I'm mean, going to just throw out an example, right? Like, mm-hmm. could be, the point being that you're entering this thought, this thinking into the conversation. And perhaps other people will chime in with, you know, yeah, you're right. Like, and maybe people with more knowledge or with more direct experience. So there's there are always ways to enter into the conversation to assert yourself, even if you don't feel like you know exactly what you're talking about. Because the alternative is, well, I don't know what I'm talking about, so I'm just going to stay silent or mm-hmm. not say anything. So I think that dynamic is actually really pivotal for people who are newer, especially white people who are newer on this journey, to push through that discomfort, right? And even it's like, uh, I don't know, it feels weird. Because really what's, what's weird about it is that people have never seen you be that way. Mm-hmm. They've never seen you talk like that. They've never seen you care about these issues. They've never seen you have an interest. So it's like this social pressure. Um, you know, Robin D'Angelo talks about this concept of white solidarity, right? Like, as white people, whether we know it or not or think about it or not, and it's mostly not, we are socialized to side with or, you know, agree with other white people. And, and that just happens unconsciously often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what perpetuates the systemic thinking, even if it seems like, oh, we didn't do anything wrong. It's like, yeah, you didn't do anything egregious, but did you notice your whole group of 10 people was over here and the one black guy was over there and you didn't invite him to your, you know, your table? Like stuff like that, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's interesting. I had a conversation with a, a mutual friend of ours maybe a year ago and she leads a, she leads a company and and trying to grapple with 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 all the changes and and she came to the conclusion with other people in her group that as a white person it's really about being uncomfortable exactly it's really about being uncomfortable and and it, it, it you talk about education we we sort of framed it in terms of we have an obligation to educate ourselves there's a i think it's a churchill phrase um, he said something along the lines of everybody wants to learn, but nobody wants to be taught. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And it kind of speaks to that, that you have to uh, uh, you have to open yourself up and you're in a, in a position of, of not strength in a, a position of sort of of weakness when you're when you're learning. And it's it's I don't know if that's a helpful framing for other people, but kind of makes sense to me. We have an it obligation is. to learn and yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to make mistakes and we're going to say the wrong thing and we're going to upset people or we're not going to upset people. And, but we're going to feel bad because we didn't, you know, call them out mm-hmm. or call them in and sort of maybe, maybe, maybe that's a good takeaway for us. It is. And actually I'm glad that I, I'm glad you brought that up because there are two sections in, in the book. Um, one, so each section uh, has, as a title that's like confronting racism with or by or through, you know, like, and there's a, a and then the, there's an intro piece and then there are 10 to 15 little vignettes that kind of are in that mm-hmm. theme. So you just brought up two kind of related um, pillars or lenses that I use. One is EQ, emotional intelligence, and the other is mindfulness. And they're, they're separate things and they're separate chapters in the book, but they're very interrelated. And I think the inter connectedness of them is around that comfort piece or that discomfort piece. So when I think of EQ, I think of self-awareness. I think of empathy. I think of curiosity. I think of vulnerability, right? And when you look in the, take it out of the race conversation, you look in the workplace, like, you know, a lot of 
senior leaders, they're not, they don't have emotional intelligence. They don't know how to manage people. They don't know how to deal with stress. They don't know how to, you know, uh, uh, make people feel like they feel like they're, like they're valued and important on the team. And then you add in the race bit of it and it just like, you know, exacerbates all that. And then you have the mindfulness piece, which for folks who practice mindfulness even a little bit or are familiar with some of like Buddhist uh, mindfulness philosophy, it's all about equanimity and sitting with uncertainty and being okay with not having the answers. So they're very interrelated. So I think, as you said, comfort or discomfort is kind of that, you know, and I said a little bit earlier, like you got to push through that dis- discomfort. You have to be aware that you're uncomfortable, wonder, you know, ask yourself why why am I uncomfortable right now in this conversation or this setting or this context or with this social media post or whatever the context is and really do that self-reflection. So the subtitle of the book is an invitation to reflect and act. Mm. And so I'm really asking people to, yeah, you're going to be uncomfortable. If you're not, then you're not having the right conversations. Mm -hmm. And if you are uncomfortable and that scares you too much where you you peace out of the conversation, then that's not okay either. Yeah, totally makes sense. So, um, last question for you, or last topic. I always say last question, then I ask five <laughs> questions. So, last topic. Um, you do a lot of work in the corporate world mm-hmm. as well. And so, you know, we've talked a little bit about the, this conversation from a very personal perspective, individuals, you and I. I'm keen to understand what you're observing in the corporate world, whether you're seeing progression and and even I, I, there has to be some progression because I think even the language, the terminology like DNI, uh, remind me, diversity and inclusion has evolved. The term has evolved. Like, what's the what's the latest term? And are you seeing progression? And what is what do those conversations look like? So, if I take my cynical hat off, I am seeing a little bit of progression. The fact that, that even like we're having this conversation and someone like me who does this work obviously has fluency, but even that you have enough fluency to have this conversation with me is a sign of progression. And I am seeing that, uh, that people are more aware that there's stuff to be aware of. So, and that's good. That is good, definitely. And whiteness and white supremacy, which I know is a big scary word, but it really just means that, you know, whiteness is the dominant narrative and that's what we measure all norms by and and therefore it's superior, is still rife and very dominant and very um, protective of its dominance. So, for example, you might have in a company, um, you know, rolling out an unconscious bias training Okay, so great. Your your five thousand people took unconscious bias, but then what? Right? You have individual uh, people of color, black folks, Latinx folks, uh, Asian folks. You know, trying to find channels and you know communication channels and mediums to share their individual experiences, and either they can't find them or they're not being truly listened to. And if even if they are being truly listened to, then then people in positions of power and authority and influence aren't doing anything to change their own and the collective organizational behavior. So it's really, Ian, there's a lot of ingrained, bad, racist habits. 
And the other thing about, you know, progress, we like to think of, of, of racism as this like one way, slightly ascending progress over history from the 1400s to, you know, when America was founded to slavery, to end of slavery, to the, and in, you know, loosely that's true, but it's always met every single incident or law or legislation or social change of progress is always met with aggressive, harmful, murderous, uh, you know, rage by white people. And so I think we have to be, yes, celebrate the wins, but also be very mindful that it's, it hasn't gone away. That's sobering. (laughs) Yes, it is. It is. Um, To me, it's, it's like, okay, like there's still a lot of work to do and the work is daily individual, collective, and systemic. Because we've been talking a little mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, we've kind of been talking, interweaving the individual and the systemic, which I think is how it, individuals make up systems. Mm-hmm. And the systems, the legal systems, the political systems, the, the cultural systems are set up to favor whiteness. And until or unless those systems are starting to be dismantled, any individual or small gains aren't going to amount to much in the grand scheme of things. I mean, they're great for that individual or that mm-hmm. company or that you know lo- locale, but as far as really changing, it's not going to it's not going to make a dent. Yeah, Do, I mean, there's to use sort of a business framing for it. Like there's there's a time of investment and then there's a time of sort of reaping the reward and and. Uh, like when I said it was sobering, I, did, I wasn't expecting you to say, "Yeah, the, it's, it's all done. We're done." <laughs> we you had know? a black president. It's over. Yeah, what are you talking about? We're all done. Um, but it feels to me—I mean, it is uplifting to hear you say that. You know, the fact that we can have a conversation with a certain amount of the vocabulary is even even there. Mm-hmm. There's an awareness of the different things, and you know, that's great. So. To me, it feels like we're in the investment phase. It doesn't mean like we're we're reaping the reward of everybody just doing the work and getting it done and and changing those systems. But it does feel to me, and maybe it's just naive, but it feels to me that more people are having more conversations. Yeah. I don't think it's naive. I think I think in a way we're in a violent agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is sobering and it's hopeful at the same time. Yeah, I think um, because. What I'm trying to do is get more people to do the work like I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily mean become a consultant and, you know, a speaker or you know, an author, but like doing the daily self-reflection, <clears throat> excuse me, investigation, um, challenging myself and, and others, challenging the status quo, disrupting norms, uh, supporting kind of by default the underdog and I think that's hard for a lot of people. Um, I facilitate a lot of discussions and trainings on you talk about you know privilege and bias and microaggressions and you know all these terms that people are starting to learn and understand what they mean, but doesn't mean they're really embodying them or or even agreeing with them. Um, and so if I'm a you know sixty year old white man, for example, you know and and then i I or anyone tells him that you know, hey, you have privilege, 
the immediate reaction is like 99% of the time to get defensive and say, I worked hard and you don't know me and blah, blah, all these things, which totally derails the conversation. And you can't even get to a deeper point where you say, you know, privilege is actually just a neutral term. It's not an attack on you. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, it's a, it's a, a thing that exists. But you, so yes, some people are starting to be able to have those conversations, but a lot still aren't. And I'm not even talking about like the out and out avowed racists, and I'm talking about people who consider themselves, you know, progressive, liberal, you know, voted for Biden, voted for Obama, you know. So we're we're not talking about like those guys or those people. We're talking about people who who seem to get it or want to get it, um, and it's challenging because you have to really redefine like who you are and what matters to you and what you're gonna how you're gonna show up day to day. Uh, in your various spheres of impact. Well, all the more reason to read the book. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell us, uh, tell us a little bit more about the book. When is it coming out? Where can we get it? Um, and so the book, uh, a, a White Guy Confronting Racism, uh, subtitled An Invitation to Reflect and Act, will be released uh, November 15th. Uh, the pre-order link is on a white guy confronting racism.com. So if you go there, you'll be able to pre-order the book. There's also, there'll also be a podcast. Um, and then my, my website is jaredcarroll.com, J-A-R-E-D-K-A-R-O-L.com, where you can learn a little bit more about my background, my services, speaking, coaching, facilitating. They're all kind they're both kind of inter, interwoven, interlinked. Um, so, you know, having one or both of those will get you to, to one or the other of them. Yeah. And the book will be available on, on, on Amazon and, you know, basically anywhere that you can find books. Uh, I'm still learning a lot about the publishing industry and the behind the scenes of how it all works. But as far as I understand it, it's, I can just, I can have it distributed pretty much wherever I, I need to. Um, so if you're kind of an anti Amazon, which some people are, there'll be other ways to get it, including directly from me. You know, I can just send you a signed mm-hmm. copy and, you know, in the, in the old fashioned snail mail. Yeah. Or, or, uh, knock into your local bookstore and tell them they need That's to give you a call. That's right. Uh, hopefully if you live in the Bay area, uh, especially the East Bay and, and San Francisco, um, I'm going to definitely be hitting up all my favorite local bookstores and, and shoving, shoving many copies of my books in their faces and saying, sell this. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> well, Jared, congrats on uh, the culmination of a lot of hard work. It's kind of a... Thank you. It's a, a very big achievement. And thank you for coming back once again to, uh, to have a chat. You're very welcome, Ian. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. <laughs>